But good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Glad to see you. My name is uh, Brandon Siski. I'm the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. And we want to let you know that we strive to be simply all about Jesus. We believe that he's the sole reason why we do what we do, why we come to church and why we are the church. And that's what we're trying to gather together. And our heartbeat is we, all of our ministries and everything that we do as a church is focused on helping others to meet, know, and follow Jesus. We are in this series called Altars. And the idea behind this series is for us to understand the role and the function and the purpose behind altars. It's absolutely important. Altars are places that we come to having an encounter. They're a place of exchange where we bring offerings and sacrifices to in order to like either receive a blessing, to gain something, or like even in Christianity, it's the idea of like, I'm going to give my life for you to receive your life, Jesus. And as we're in this series, we're also going to be inviting you as a church. We started this last Sunday into this month of prayer and fasting. We're going to be praying specifically for our hearts, for our teachers in in the city of Austin and Dripping Springs and all the other areas around that our church would call home. We want to be praying for the fall and all that God's going to be doing in our church and through our church. We want to pray for those who don't know Jesus. And so we provided this guide for you to help you you come alongside this season to be able to kind of like set aside a sacred place, an altar of prayer where you can come and relate and connect and have fellowship with the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that. And also, I really do want to encourage you to set aside at least one time during this month to fast. And you're fasting from food in order to feel that hunger. And you want to start to ask the Lord, Lord, I want to have that hunger for you. I want to feast on you. It's absolutely important for us to to be in that posture because a lot of times what we discover in Scripture, if we don't understand the role or like our instinctive desire to hunger for things, we will miss out. And last week we started this series by looking at the altars within our heart. And as we did that, we were talking about the fact that God created us in his image. And so therefore we are created to worship. And because we worship, we instinctively build altars. Because what we worship is exactly the thing that we believe will give us the joy and the delight, the fulfillment, the satisfaction that we instinctively go after. But the story of God tells us that we're sinful, we are broken, and we have chosen to play God, to be the determiners of our fate, to be able to decide what is right, what is wrong, what desires will fulfill me and what desires won't fulfill me. And so we have come to understand, like it says in Jeremiah 17, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is sick to its core. And we live in a world, in a culture, ever since then, that kind of has this mantra, hey, just follow your heart. You just run after what you feel is right. You do you. And all we do is because we're worshipers, we end up erecting all of these idols to all sorts of things. And it leads to calamity. It keeps us separated from God. We don't even know who we are or what our purpose is, and we continue to chase after these things. And we, we like, try to get an image of this because our heart wants to focus on this here. This is your life. 
here on earth. We, we, we get so wrapped up that if I get these things here, it will satisfy me. But the problem is we are created with eternity in our hearts. We instinctively know that death is not the end, that there's a life forever there. And we were created to worship the one who is eternal, where in his presence is fullness of joy. And yet because we are broken, we are so convinced that our joy and satisfaction is here. That's why Jesus said things like, if you want to gain the world, you may forfeit your soul. What does it profit a person if he gains everything, if he gets everything he wants here, but forfeits this, eternity? This is why this concept of altars is significant. Everything that we believe here on earth, apart from God, that will bring us joy, bring us delight, bring us satisfaction, everything here will eventually depreciate in value. It's unstable that we're always being persuaded that you can have the latest and greatest upgrade. Everything breaks down. There's so many disappointments that we go through in life and so much pain and confusion. And we're always convinced that the grass is greener on the other side, but the reality, it's not. Gain the world. Go after it. Get all those things. No. We were created to live forever in the presence of the one whom there is fullness of joy. Friends, I'm telling you, there is something so much better than all of these temporary things in life. There is an altar that will lead us to where there is fullness of joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding where we can finally find the rest in our weary souls where nothing can touch or shake the joy and the peace that we have. We come to a place, an altar, where we will find the desire of our hearts, where we can be known and loved with no strings attached. And all of this hinges on who you trust. All of this hinges on who you trust. Because who you trust is the altar that you will build for. And this is what we want to reflect on this morning. This reminds me of a story in John chapter 6. This is not the passage that we're going to be studying. We're going to look at Genesis 12. But I just, this hit me this morning. In John chapter 6, Jesus just fed the 5,000 crazy, miraculous feet out of a boy's little lunch, and he fed the thousands. And so at the end of that time, Jesus told the disciples, pick up all the pieces, and he said, go to the other side. They get on the boat, they cross over, Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. You know, they're going, the disciples go across, the storm comes, they're freaking out. Jesus, you know, just casually walks on the water, and this is comedy. The disciples decided to let him in, which I'm like, what are they waiting for permission? But he get, they get to the other side, but on where Jesus did the miracle, the crowd, the thousands that were there, woke up the next morning and went, whoa, where did he go? And they discovered that Jesus and his disciples are on their side. So they journeyed to the other side to find Jesus. And they were like, where were you? We were looking for you. Then Jesus comes and John 6 says, listen, you're looking for me not because of the miraculous work I did. Not because of me. But you, you, you're here because you, you want 
me to continue to meet your needs. Like, you, you want to use me for this food. You're not, like, caught up in that. And so he goes, do not work for the food that spoils. He says it to the crowd. Don't, don't work for this. Don't let this be your focus. Don't let this be your preoccupation of your life. But rather, work for the food that never spoils. And they're like, well, what work should we do? That is so like us. Just, just tell me what to do. Just, just tell me what it is that I have to do, and I'll do it, and I'll fix it. But look at what Jesus says. He says, this is the work of God that you believe. You believe in Jesus. You trust in Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that is the hardest thing. That is harder than just tell me what to do. Okay, you want me to give more? I'll give more. Oh, you want me to serve? Okay, fine, I'll serve. If it'll fix the things in my heart, I'll do it. Jesus is like, no, your heart. The work is to trust, trust him, trust his leading, trust his ways, trust his words, trust his heart, trust his intentions, trust his discipline, trust him in the trials, in the storms, in the confusions. This is the work. Believe in Jesus. Trust is like falling back on, fully relying on him for every single thing. And now here it is, okay? Who you trust will determine the trajectory of your life because your trust will inform what you will pursue and your pursuits will determine your direction. So trust then actually colors and flavors the story that your life tells. And that's the question I want to ask you. What story do you want your life to tell when it's all said and done? Like, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh man, he had a great house. Man, did you see the cars he had? What's the story you want to be told? What's the legacy you want your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids to know? Is it, is it this or that you wanted the Lord and you wanted to bring as many as you can into that kingdom? It all hinges on your trust. Whose voice are you trusting in this morning? Whose voice are you trusting in? This is important. We're going to talk about your spiritual journey and the role that the altars you build play in those. We're going to look at Abraham. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Because what we're going to see in the life of Abraham is going to resonate real close to the gospel. Real close to how God moves and operates in our own life. Abraham's life is this, this process of real high highs and real low lows, peaks and valleys. Great moments of success, of looking like he's the model of faith. And then moments where he looks absolutely foolish. And you're like, how could he do that? And I love that scripture is so sober. It's so real. It doesn't try to paint these false caricatures of our faith heroes. It's like, no, this is who they are. 
quite frankly, because that's how you are too. And it's so refreshing. We see in the life of Abraham that he built at least four altars, at least four that we see in Scripture. And all of these altars were played, they played a significant role in his journey of trusting God, of learning how to trust in the voice of God more and more and more. So whose voice are you trusting in? Let's look at this now in Genesis chapter 12, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, I want, I want to just say this right now because my brain is, is, goes on rapid fire. Like at this point in the story, that he's called Abram. His name doesn't change to Abraham till later. I'm going to probably call him both. Okay? So don't get confused. And his wife is Sarai on this side, and it changes to Sarah. So if I ended up saying both, I'm not talking about two different people. They're the same. Just my bad. You can adapt. I believe in you. You got this. Okay? The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land. Go out from your relatives. Go out from your father's house. Where? To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Well, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And he took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all of the possessions they accumulated and the people they acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, one chapter previous, at the beginning of chapter 11, is the story of the Tower of Babel. People gathered together in this area, and there was just one language, right? And they all gathered together, and they wanted to build this great city. And in the city, they wanted to build this tower to the skies, to the heavens. Why? So they can make a name for themselves. They want their names to be made great. In other words, they were convinced that they know what's right. They, they know what's missing in their lives. That This is going to be the area. This is going to be the place where I'm going to find joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. It's all about me. I'm I'm going to build my life here. And all of a sudden what we see in this story is that God intervenes and he scatters them to where this tower of Babel is now. That city is called Babylon. Okay? It's fascinating. And this is the part I just want to highlight was the contrast we're going to see there and the contrast we're going to see with Abraham where the people at Babel were like, I'm going to make a name great. We're going to make our name great. And God comes and says to Abraham, I will make your name great. Major contrast, major tension between the voices that we trust in. And as chapter 11 unfolds, we also get introduced to Shem, a son of Noah. We get his genealogy, goes down to Terah, which is Abraham's father. And Terah got some kind of inclination to want to go to Canaan to there. He goes up to Haran, they settle there. And they live there, and they build their lives there. Now, it's important for us to know that Abraham had no previous understanding. He knew nothing of Yahweh. He knew not a thing about God. 
They were pagan worshipers. They came from the land, the city of Ur, which is just south of Babylon, full of idols, full of altars that have embedded in their culture with a certain way of life. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, God speaks to Abraham and says, go. This is his introduction to Abraham. No, hi, I'm the Lord, Abraham, nice to meet you. No dialogue, just go, Abraham. And somehow Abraham knew that something was different with this voice. Go from your land, go from your relatives, go from your father's house. Okay, great, where? I'll tell you later. What would you be thinking? <laughs> like, like, seriously. Like, this is remarkable. And he even gives qualifiers like, hey, as you go, which is an invitation, it's an invitation to trust him. And he's saying to him, he's like, okay, as you go, I'm making these promises to you. I will make your name great. In other words, like, I will give you the desires in your heart. I will do this. I will be with you. I will make you. But you got to go. You have to trust. I'm giving you these promises. And then as you walk in these promises, you're going to experience the blessing, the joy, and the peace that we long for. This is how it starts for all of us. Okay? The life of trust is where you and I will find the life of blessing. And it comes through the promises that God makes to us. Jesus came to this earth to show us the way to the Father so that all who call on his name, all who believe in him, all who trust in him will find life. We're told in Peter that we get the opportunity to participate in the divine nature in relationship to God. Well, how? By giving us, he gave us these very great and precious promises where we have to choose to trust him for. And as we trust him in them, we experience the blessing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that every promise, every promise in Christ is a yes. And Paul says, that's why I'm choosing to say amen, which is a declaration of trust. It's not, it's not the prayer language comma. Right? Like when we pray, we say amen. I'm, most of the time, probably 99% of the time, we have no idea what we're saying. We just say amen. <laughs> it's like, no, amen says, so be it. It is true, and I'm believing it. Go from your land. This wasn't easy. He settled there. All of his friends are there. His relations are there. His dad is there. And he's being asked to go. Go from what you've developed. Go from the life you've been making and building for yourself and your wife. Go from the place of a secure income. Go from all of the relationships you know. Go. Because I have something more for you. Okay, God, where? I'm ready to go. Can you show me? What are the GPS coordinates? Because I want to know. He's like, just, I want to know. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you walk in the promises? This is the gospel. 
Come to me, which is the invitation to leave the old life. Go from your old way of living. Go from what you thought you needed. Go from all of the things that you worshiped and defined you. Leave them and follow me. This is the invitation that we are given. Will you trust in that? Come to me. Receive me. Trust me. I love you. Believe my heart for you. It's good. My intentions are good and I'm faithful. This idea or this picture of the land for us is a symbolic picture of salvation. It's a symbolic picture of living in eternity forever in the presence of God. This is what Jesus is inviting you into every moment of your life. Go. And it's not just a one-time invitation. I'm telling you that. We oftentimes go, wow, did you profess Christ as Lord and Savior? Great. You're good. Stamp of approval. We need to hear that invitation and respond to that invitation all the time because like we just saying, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Will we trust him in his invitation? What is the work of God? Belief. It's belief. It's faith. Friends, when God calls you to leave something, sometimes it is so hard. In fact, I would even say that is oftentimes the area where we say off limits. Go from old life. Go go from old practices. I have more. Trust me. There's blessing in the promise. Will you go? Will you do this? Man, just a story just popped in my head. I, I remember like before I became a Christian, I had a serious drinking problem. So when I became a believer, it was just like, like that was like done with. Partly because I was now like, convinced that obeying the law was important and I wasn't 21. So I just didn't drink. But when I became 21, I remember a lot of the guys were discipling, we were like, hey, let's go out. And, and I remember ordering my first beer and it was like, oh my gosh. You know, like it was just scary because I remembered the life that I was like living in in the past. And, and then like all of a sudden, like I, I would dabble in it. And I remember praying and asking the Lord, God, is this okay for me? I'm not saying is it okay for other people. I was like, Lord, is it okay for me? And the Lord's like, no. And I never listened to it. Because I was like, no, nah, come on. I don't want to be a legalism. And the long story short, God knew what was best. Because old habits started to creep in. And the Lord's like, you need to go. You can't do this anymore. And it took to a point of brokenness to finally go, okay. And like, I, I'm just telling you, like, I really enjoyed a great IPA. Like, I brewed my own. I mean, like, it wasn't just about, like, the effect. It was like, I, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the culture of it. Like, I enjoyed the flavor of it. I, I enjoyed it all. And it was a really hard thing to say no to. But God's like, do you trust me that I have something better? Go. 
What is he inviting you into that you are being challenged to trust him in? Go from this. Go from that. Friends, faith, apart from faith, as it says in Hebrews 11:6, apart from faith, we cannot please God. This is why the work of God is trust. It's faith. It's belief. Because it's there where we understand how to worship him. And as we worship him, we find the joy and the peace and the desire that our hearts long for. All Abraham had was the raw word of God. That was it. No, no like guarantees, no warranties, no experience. Just go. Never got a financial forecast. What will happen to me to there? Will I have friends there? Will this happen there? God's like, just trust. Now we understand why that's the harder work. The call is the same to the gospel. Come to him. Okay, verse four. So Abraham went, 75 years old, he goes. Old man-ish in Old Testament years. But it's enough to tell us that he was building a life. They settled there, and now he's asked to leave it. It's not easy. Back in that culture, family was everything. It's where you find your security. It's where you find your wealth, your longevity. It's all right there. His dad is in his final years of life, and to leave your father at that moment is shameful. But Abraham was like, I have to go. I heard the voice of God. Surely there were conversations. Surely there were disagreements. I can imagine him and Sarah having an argument over this. Sarah's like, what? Are you crazy? Right? Like, imagine that. He's just like, I don't know what to say. I just got to go. The disagreement between family, his father, all that kind of stuff. But in this journey we begin to see the significance of this and we get this picture in Hebrews chapter 11, verses nine through 10. Hebrews 11, verses nine through 10. By faith, talking about Abraham, by faith, back, uh, I'm gonna go back to eight. When he was called, he obeyed and settled for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. So he went out, even though he didn't know, he had no clue where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as Isaac and Jacob did. Verse 10, this is important. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect, whose designer, whose author and builder is God. Abraham was starting to go, I don't want to pursue the life that I, don't, I build. I don't want to be my own architect. I'm looking to him. I'm inheriting something so much more. He's the architect and he's the builder. If he's the architect and if he's the builder, trust him. Such a powerful image. Friends, this is an invitation for you right now to trust in God. And as you, as you Put your trust in God. No matter what stage you are in, in your spiritual journey, you will start to realize that God is going to empower you to tear down the altars that have attached to your heart from this world. 
As you begin to place your trust in him, the more and more you're going to realize that he's empowering you to tear down those altars that are attached to your heart from the things in this world. That's why Paul says, set your heart on things above and your mind on things above. In this invitation, he goes. He goes all the way down to the site of Shechem, which is kind of like through the south part of Canaan, to the Oak of Moray. This is hilarious. He journeys with his crew, sets out for the land of Canaan without knowing that Canaan was the land that God was going to give him. Sneaky fella. Like he had no clue. He's going through the whole land. And he ends up arriving at Shechem at the Oak of Moray, which means he journeyed from end to end and set up his camp there. And then we see this little thing in parentheses, which is not just like to give us additional information. It's actually meant to kind of like help us understand what's at stake or what's going to happen. Parentheses, at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Okay, what's that about? What's that about? But it means that there's going to be opposition and obstacles to live a life of trusting God. That's what that means. You're going to be living in any enemy-occupied territory, fighting to trust in God, to walk into his promises. And there are going to be enemies that will seek to tear you down, to lead you astray. You're going to be in a culture that's going to be constantly persuading you to adapt or adopt their ways. It means that as we journey in trusting in God, we're going to be surrounded by the teachings and the philosophies and the ideologies that are entrenched in culture, living in a land littered with idols and pagantry. And also at the same time, we're going to find that probably slightly annoying that we keep bumping into it. Now, what's fascinating about being at the Oak of Moray is that this is a place of worship where the Canaanites would come to in order to hear from their gods to learn how to live. This is where he is at. Think about this. Jesus, when he invites you to himself, invites you to the gospel, invites you into this new life, he prays to the Father, Lord, they're in the world. Friends, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. He doesn't call us out of the world, but to be salt and light in the world, right? That we have an enemy that we're actually given authority over through Jesus. We are to be a blessing to others by living for Jesus and declaring the good news of Jesus. We are then exhorted to pray, to not be led into temptation, to be be delivered from the evil one. We are to pray for God's kingdom to come here in the midst of this enemy-occupied land, to seek the welfare of this city, to seek the welfare where we are temporarily residing, We are an ambassador, which means we're coming from a foreign land and this is not our home to seek first his kingdom. Like this is where the promises are being unfolded. This is where you are invited to trust God in. Now, in the midst of all of that, his location, look at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. He's like, listen, here in all of this. This is where it's going to be. 
what's Abraham's response? He built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Abraham built an altar in the heart of enemy-occupied land. This is Abraham saying, God, I'm setting you apart. I'm for you. I'm living for you in the midst of all of this. I am offering my life to you on this altar. I'm giving everything I have. I'm trusting you that your ways are best. I'm trusting you that you know the outcomes. I'm giving it all to you. Here's my sacrifice of praise. I believe you. And I'm telling you, this wasn't just like, again, we read this, we're like, man, did Abraham even think about this? Did he struggle with this? He went through the land of Cana. I'm telling you, friends, like as you go through that, he's a, a pilgrim. He's not established. He doesn't have an army. You've got to imagine that as he heard this, like he was excited. This is how I would be. I'd be like, yes, awesome. Give me the land. Oh, wait, there's a lot of them. And they're intimidating. And, oh, yeah, there's giants there because we knew the giants intimidated Israel later. What would you do? He built an altar in the heart of enemy-occupied territory. This is Abraham saying, no matter what, no matter where, no matter what comes at me, no matter what I'm being tempted with, I choose you. God, I choose you. Friends, you are living in enemy-occupied territory. If you're a follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven. You are an ambassador here. You are a foreigner living in a foreign land. This is not home. Will you build an altar to the Lord in the heart of enemy-occupied territory? I set you apart. And as I set you apart, Lord, protect my heart to not focus on this, but to focus on this. And then he goes down to the hill country. From there, he moved down to the hill country east of Bethel. And that's where he set up his camp with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord there, 20 miles south he comes between these two prominent city centers of Canaan, the most influential culture form, formative areas. He builds camp and he builds an altar and he calls upon the name of the Lord. Bethel is an important city in, in Canaanite culture because in that city, there was a great sanctuary to the god El who was the chief god of their pantheon, and that shaped and influenced all of Canaanite culture. Abraham, now knowing that this was the land that was going to be promised to him, he didn't flinch to worship God there. He wasn't ashamed to worship God there. He wasn't afraid to worship God there. He was in close proximity to the, one of the city centers, and he called upon the name of the Lord there, and he worshiped the Lord there. This altar represents an altar of prayer, an altar of fellowship, of friendship with God. Where Abraham is like literally going, my life is a mobile altar. It doesn't matter where I am. I have fellowship with God. I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. And that doesn't mean I'm just praying. It also means I'm proclaiming. Fascinating. 
as he's gone through the land, he has this. He built an altar in Shechem. Now he's building an altar right here in this significant area. Looks like everything is going great in Abraham's life. He's the exemplar model of trust and faith. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. Right, a great example. Now I feel really guilty because I barely, I struggle really hard to trust God. You ever feel that way? (laughs) When you read these things, you're like, that's Abraham. He's amazing. Who am I? But look at verse 10. There was a famine in the land. We need to lean in here. A famine showed up. What happens when disaster comes on your doorstep? When challenge comes, obstacles come, difficulties come? Where is your trust? Severe shortage of food, lack of provision. He went to Egypt because he knew that the Nile would produce an abundance of food. But in this moment, like he, he doesn't really have any real experience of God's provision in all of this. And so he kind of like falls back to old ways. This famine is a test of faith. This famine is a trial. This famine is a means of God's goodness and grace to shake up Abraham so that he can see that there are still altars in his life that are dedicated to the things of this world and not to God. Friends, I'm telling you, your faith will always be tested and refined. Your faith will always be tested and refined. And you should thank God for that. Because if he doesn't test and refine your faith, you will never know the altars that still remain in your life, that control your life, and will eventually pull you away from the heart of God. We need to be tested. Peter says this, like, brothers, sisters, do not be surprised when you undergo fiery trials. And he starts to talk about, like, faith and comparing it to gold. He says, faith is of greater value than gold. Gold needs to be refined by fire. How much more your faith? A famine was the trial for Abraham. And we know this, okay? So many times, oh, man. I'm sorry, I'm going to go there. We oftentimes talk about a false gospel to those who don't know Jesus. And what I mean by that is, put your faith in Jesus and everything's going to be great. You're going to have no more troubles. In fact, you can even get wealthy. For $9.99. In fact, that, that rhetoric actually is, is sometimes even embedded in our own hearts. When hardships come, we're like, what's this? What's going on? Is this even true? God, do you even care? What did I do? And we get it all in this tip. We're like, man, everything should be blue skies and 75 degrees. Come on, Jesus, break the heat. Seriously. But Jesus never promised smooth sailing. He said, in this world, you're going to have difficulties. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The promises that God has given us don't always come when we want them to come. And so that creates attention and stress and frustration. Oh, the stupid statement, sorry. The, the statement of God can't give you more than you can handle makes me want to puke. I understand the heart behind it. 
Right, because a little bit later where they try to paint that verse, it's in Corinthians, he says, no, like when you're tempted, like there's a way of escape. But I'm telling you, actually God does give us more than we can handle. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and you got to go, why does he do that? So that, so that we place our faith in him. We need Famines. We need trials. We need to, like these these fiery tests. So he goes to Egypt, which seems like a natural and logical move, right? But here's what we don't see in Abraham's life to this point: we never see him call upon the Lord. There is no altar that he builds from this area to Egypt, and it's not like he all of a sudden abandoned God. He just forgot God. In fact, like what we see is that he thinks his ways are better than God's ways. Before even going to Egypt, he doesn't pray, he doesn't ask, doesn't consult, nothing. He goes to Egypt and then, and then he says to his wife, who's beautiful and stunning, but my wife's got so much more on her. He goes to her and he says, listen, because you're so beautiful, the Egyptians are going to want to marry you and take you. So here's the plan. Lie to them. I'm your brother, because otherwise they will kill me. <laughs> so Abraham's like, I gotta, this is going to be a great plan. We're going to be here. We're going to be fed. We're going to take care of everything. But Abraham obviously didn't take into account of Pharaoh, because Pharaoh's official sees his wife. And they're like, whoa, she's beautiful. Pharaoh would love her. Brings Sarah to Ab Pharaoh's household. And all of a sudden, like Pharaoh's blessing, he's, he's giving so much resource and reward to Abraham, to which Abraham's like, this is working out great. Man, he's now, he's like wealthy. A lot of cattle and other people and servants. And like, this is where like Hagar even comes. Like all of these things and all of this stuff that he would start to think as a blessing actually becomes problematic later. I'm telling you, as he's receiving this, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going, this is going amazing. Look at my retirement portfolio. Man, look at this. This is, this is going so well. Pharaoh takes Sarah, his wife, which again, Abraham's like, ooh, I didn't know that was going to happen. God caused a plague to hit to where then Pharaoh was made aware that Abraham deceived him and called him out. In the end of the story, Pharaoh is shown to have taken the high moral ground and Abraham the failure. This famine revealed to Abraham, that there are still altars in his life that have not been destroyed and rebuilt for God. Friends, we need famines. We need trials. We need God to test us because otherwise we don't know what we don't know. And it's his love and it's his goodness because he wants us to live by faith. How easy we do this, isn't it? We make our own plans. We do what we think is right on our own side. We don't consult God. We hope that God comes alongside and blesses our efforts. We look at the ways of this world and we adopt their mechanisms. We're like, hey, after all, it looks logical and right. But that's the problem. God's ways aren't our ways. It's not that God doesn't want to bless. God just wants us to make much of him, to trust him, to depend on him. It's important. We need to understand this and work this through. And so then in chapter 13, and I'm going to end with this. In chapter 13, Abraham chooses to go back 
to the altar that he built between Bethel and A. Can you imagine the marital tension in that journey? I, I don't think there was a lot of conversation. I'm sure Abraham probably tried like, hey, and she just gives the look. He's like, bye. Great plan, Abraham. That worked out well. I'm so glad you care about me that you were only thinking about your own life. Abraham was surely broken and contrite and repentant. And he goes back to that altar where he said, I'm living for you. Everything I have is for you. And now he's aware of his fickle heart. And he comes back to that altar and he says, God, I re-surrender. I re-surrender. I offer again my life. I offer again my heart. I will trust you here again. Show me the other altars in my life. And then the third altar actually reveals the changed heart of Abram. Because he's learning how to trust. And it's all through the role of these altars. What is the work of God? Belief. Trust. It's not just doing things. Trust. Trust him in the discipline. Trust him in the trials. Trust him in the highs and trust him in the lows. Trust him. What story do you want your life to tell? You live for the things of earth or the things of eternal life? Whose voice are you trusting? So as we've started to do last week and we're going to continue to do in this series is we're going to invite you to make a choice of trust. And we have a symbolic act that we want to encourage you to do. And we have these four prayer kneelers here, but this isn't the only space you can go. You can come up to any spot up here. And I know there's some of you in this room that have not even responded to the initial invitation to go, to leave behind the old life and to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to trust him for your everything. If that's you, this is your morning to go. Trust him. He is good. Others of you in this room may be in Egypt in your own plans and schemes and desires. And you may even be thinking, it's going great. I want you to hear the Lord's voice inviting you to return back to him, to re-surrender, to place your life again on the altar. Maybe some of you right now are in a time of testing and trial and famine and your faith is being rattled and you're struggling with God. You're, You're struggling. Choose to trust him. Some of you are battling with actually destroying those old altars. Will you trust him that he's got something better for you? 
You see, the story of Abraham is told through what he built. He never built a city. He never built homes. His life story is a life of building altars to the Lord. So as we end this time in worship, I really do want to encourage you. Sometimes the Lord causes us to move, to move forward, to act, to do something. And this act of coming forward may be the thing that the Lord is saying, do you really trust me? If so, will you do this? It doesn't have to be this, but we don't want you to remain stagnant because we know the Lord is speaking to you. Let's trust him. And if you feel the need to come forward, you can come up and pray just for you and the Lord, but there will be people up here to pray for you as well. So let's just offer our hearts again to the Lord. And Father, we ask that you would speak now. Lord, even as I'm preaching, I'm finding myself convicted personally. And selfishly, I just want to say, God, that's not fair. (laughs) Um, Just even realizing that I know, I know that I know there are things I'm like, nope. Nope, my plan is still better. Even though I know it's not true, I am stubborn enough to believe that my plan is better. It's like me throwing a little childish pity party in aisle five of the grocery store. Nope, God, nope. Lord, forgive me. I know you're better. I know you're good. Help me to destroy those altars that hold me back. Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who maybe there's some in here who are hearing your voice for the first time to come to you, to come to the cross so that he can take your sins and give you his life to receive the Holy Spirit so that you can be a new creation, awakened for the first time. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who need to resurrender, to come and choose repentance and, and your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, I know that there are many of us in this room too that are stubborn like myself, that know what you're inviting us to leave behind, but for some reason, we're digging in our heels. Isaiah 30 says to us that in repentance and trust is our salvation. Lord, would you do that work in our hearts now? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet us, minister to us, heal us, convict us, encourage us. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us now? Pray this in Jesus' name. So this is an open time for you, between you and the Lord, to come on up and just do work with the Lord.